Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Gospel Exegesis, the podcast which is all about doing a proper academic exegesis, helping you understand what the text is really saying from a Catholic biblical perspective. Today we're looking at a passage that you may not have heard very much of unless you've studied the scriptures in some detail. So we're looking today at Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. The Pharisees went out and began to plot against Jesus, discussing how to destroy him. Jesus knew this and withdrew from the district. Many followed him and he cured them all, but warned them not to make him known. This was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, the favourite of my soul. I will endow him with my spirit and he will proclaim the true faith to the nations. He will not brawl or shout, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break the crushed reed, nor put out the smouldering wick, till he has led the truth to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. So that is today's reading, and most of the reading, as you heard there at the end, is basically an extended quote from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. So chapter 12 is all about identity revelations. And in the last part of chapter 12, just leading up to verse 14, Jesus was revealed to be greater than the temple and Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus has already said those things about himself. So we get to verse 14, which follows on from what Jesus has just been doing on the Sabbath. So verse 14 says... The Pharisees went out and began to plot against Jesus, discussing how to destroy him. Now, that goes specifically with the previous passage. We know that up to this point, the Pharisees have been quite hostile to Jesus, and that hostility had been getting stronger and stronger, and now it reaches its peak. They have gotten to the point where they want to actually destroy him. Why? Well, Jesus, in the last couple of passages here, has been doing things on the Sabbath, particularly healing, and that really offends the Pharisees because they regard healing as work on the on the Sabbath. So that would be a deep insult to God in the Pharisees' view. And in fact, it's an insult to the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. Some scholars have said that when Jesus was doing work on the Sabbath, he was basically, it's equivalent to burning the national flag of Israel. That's kind of what it was like. It was The Sabbath was an identity marker of Israel, and Jesus seemed to be trampling on it. So the Pharisees know that Jesus is getting really influential and they don't want anyone else to be led astray by his false teaching, in their view, so they decide to take him down. They start to plot to destroy him and that will eventually come to fruition in the Passion Week. That same phrase here of the Pharisees began to plot, or more literally they took counsel against him, that's used in the Passion Week about how the chief priests and the elders plot to bring about Jesus' death. Verse 15, Jesus knew this and withdrew from the district. So Jesus is apparently able to perceive the thoughts and plans of the Pharisees, and he senses that they're out to kill him. So he gets out of the area. It doesn't tell us where he went. He was in the Galilee area. Maybe he went to uh, one of the other surrounding areas like Phoenicia or Samaria. It's not entirely clear. Scholars have different proposals of where he went at this point. Now, later in the gospel, Jesus would challenge the Pharisees about their plan to kill him. We see that in Matthew 23. 
But at this point, he avoids a full-blown confrontation with the Pharisees and decides to just get out of there. And he actually did the same thing earlier in chapter 4. After John the Baptist died, it says that Jesus withdrew. So whenever he senses there might be danger to his ministry, he gets out of there. But when he withdraws, many followed him and he cured them all. So people hear that Jesus is on the move, but they're desperate to be with him, to hear him and to be healed. So they follow him to his new location. And the text here says that Jesus cures all those who were brought to him, which is quite remarkable. There's probably thousands of people that he's curing here. Verse 16, now we get to this mysterious phrase, he warned them not to make him known. This is often called the messianic secret, this idea that Jesus frequently in the Gospels heals people and then tells them not to tell anyone that they've been healed. And particularly in the Gospel of Mark, this messianic secret is discussed quite a bit. The main reason why Jesus tells certain people not to spread the word about him is because Jesus has a certain timeline of events of how he wants things to happen. And he knows that if word about him spreads too quickly, he might be arrested too quickly and things could get out of hand and he might die too early, basically. So Jesus knows that he still has more work to do and he doesn't want things to get out of hand. So that means he has to be willing to not let word about himself spread as much as would be possible. And in particular, it's because the Jews at the time believed that the Messiah was going to be a military Messiah that would wipe out the Romans. So if people start to hear, if Jesus encourages people to tell others that Jesus is the Messiah, well, then people will get the wrong idea. They'll think that Jesus is a military Messiah. They might try and make him king. They might try to start an uprising. And all these things would happen that Jesus doesn't want. And in particular, it's important in this context because he knows that the Pharisees are out to kill him. And he doesn't want to draw any unnecessary attention to himself. He wants to avoid conflict as long as he has work still to do. So in this case, he says, don't tell anyone. Verse 17, Matthew now says, this was to fulfill. Now at this point, let's stop. What was to fulfill? Matthew just says, this was. Well, what part is he talking about? It appears that Matthew here means the fact that Jesus withdrew and warned people not to make him known. That's the thing that's going to fulfill the prophecy. Not the healings themselves. That's not what's in view here in this prophecy. It's actually the fact that Jesus withdrew. That is going to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. Interestingly, uh, we often don't look at this particular prophecy, but here Matthew says that even the fact that Jesus withdrew is a fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. So he's going to quote from the prophecy of Isaiah. Why does Matthew feel the need to do that? Remember his audience. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience who knows their Old Testament really well. One of Matthew's main goals in writing his gospel is he wants to convince his Jewish readers that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And so he does that by citing all of these passages from the Old Testament. Matthew is filled with uh, references to the Old Testament. And usually these passages in the Old Testament discuss some aspect of the Messiah. They describe an aspect of what the Messiah will be like. And so Matthew highlights those Old Testament passages in the hopes that his readers will realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. One of Matthew's favorite places to quote from is the book of Isaiah. That's the Old Testament prophet who gives the most specific predictions about the characteristics of the coming Messiah. So it makes sense that Matthew would quote from him. Now, Matthew is going to now give us his longest 
quote in his entire gospel. And this quote is from Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4, which is one of the famous servant songs of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has about six of these servant songs, which talk about what the Messiah is going to be like in almost a poetic song-like way. Now, this whole passage, this whole quote from Isaiah is worth meditating on. So I'll read out the entire passage again, because this is, I believe, a passage of Matthew that is often not discussed. So here's what he quotes from Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, the favorite of my soul. I will endow him with my spirit, and he will proclaim the true faith to the nations. He will not brawl or shout, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break the crushed reed, nor put out the smoldering wick, till he has led the truth to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. So it starts here. Remember what the context is. Matthew says this is fulfilling, or the fact that Jesus is withdrawing from the from the crowds and from the Pharisees is fulfilling this Isaiah passage. So the first part of the Isaiah passage says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, the favorite of my soul. Or another translation of that is, with whom my soul is well pleased. Now, in context of Isaiah, God is speaking here. God is saying, here is my servant. So clearly this prophecy is about the Messiah. In fact, that word for servant can actually be translated son. So a legitimate legitimate translation of the Isaiah passage here is, here is my son whom I have chosen. Obviously, that has very messianic connotations in terms of the New Testament theology. If that prophecy or that passage of Isaiah sounds familiar, here is my servant whom I have chosen, whom with whom my soul is well pleased, that's because it's quoted other times in the New Testament. In fact, God himself says it twice in the Gospels. So God says this when Jesus is baptized. Chapter 3, verse 17, God says, Here is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says the same thing at the transfiguration. So God actually speaks these words over Jesus twice. So God quotes himself, if you like. He quotes something that he had said to Isaiah 700 years prior to this. And here, Matthew brings it up for a third time in his gospel, though this time it's not God speaking, it's Matthew saying that this prophecy is being fulfilled. The next line of the Isaiah 42 prophecy is, I will endow him with my spirit, and he will proclaim the true faith to the nations. So here we learn the Messiah will be anointed by God, that's what the word uh, Messiah means, anointed one, and will proclaim God's will to all people, including Gentiles. Whenever the Old Testament says the word nations, it basically means non-Jews. It means the Gentiles. So this is one of those passages which the Jews in Jesus' time had largely forgot. One of those passages which says the Messiah will be for the Gentiles as well. Verse 19, now we get to the part that really links to the point Matthew is trying to make. He will not brawl or shout, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. This is the key part which Jesus fulfills in this particular passage in Matthew 12. The Jews in Jesus' time expected the Messiah to be a bold military warrior. But here, we specifically see, according to Isaiah, that the Messiah will not publicly make himself known in that way. He will not brawl or shout, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Interesting link, isn't it? You probably read that Isaiah passage and just skim over it. But here, Matthew says, no, we need to think about this. The Isaiah passage prophesies that the Messiah 
will not brawl or shout, and in fact, he won't have, uh, he won't do a lot of preaching in the, uh, you could say, preaching in the marketplaces. He's not going to cause controversy in the way that a, a um, military messiah might. Verse 20, he will not break the crushed reed, nor put out the smoldering wick. Now, it's an interesting phrase, that one. It seems to be kind of a Jewish way of saying he won't destroy anything. He will not break the crushed reed. He'll put out the smoldering wick. He'll be a careful person. He's not going to just run roughshod over people and over things. But here's the qualifier. He will not break the crushed reed nor put out the smoldering wick till he has led the truth to victory. Or another translation there is till he brings justice to victory. So the placement of this is a qualifier. The overall meaning of this last phrase then is something like this. The Messiah won't destroy anything until he makes the truth or justice victorious. And we know as Christians that this does match up with Christian theology about the end times. We believe Jesus, the Messiah, will one day destroy all sin, and he will kind of be like a military leader in a way, but only once the expansion of the kingdom has reached a critical point. And that was something the Jews in Jesus' time didn't realize. They thought it would happen all at once. Verse 21, in his name, the nations will put their hope. So because the Messiah will teach all people God's will and bring them salvation from their sins. That's sort of the idea here. And this might point to the fact that even if Israel's leaders won't put their hope in Jesus because the Pharisees have just rejected him, maybe Matthew brings this up to remind them that even if the Jewish leaders won't, the Gentiles will put their faith in him eventually. Now, if you read the rest of Isaiah 42, there's more to that messianic prophecy. It goes on to foretell how the Messiah would be a light to the nations and how it will, he will actually extend the covenant to the Gentiles. Matthew here just wants to focus on the aspect of how the Messiah's mission will be accomplished through meekness and humility. That's the focus here. Jesus is clearly meek and humble, unlike a military warrior that the Jews were maybe expecting. So that's the end of our passage today. The next passage, verses 22 to 37, it's actually not included in the lectionary at all. You will never hear Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 37. If you go to Mass, even every single day for the three-year cycle, you won't hear it. It's one of those parts of Matthew 12 that's taken out. And it's the famous passage about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, you don't get to hear that at Mass, at least Matthew's version. So we will have a look at that Jesus teaching there about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as a bonus episode of the podcast. And that will be available to you if you decide to become a Patreon supporter. We'll go in depth on that particular passage in Matthew 12 and work out what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Our next weekday podcast, our regular podcast, will resume from verse 38 because that's where the next Mass reading is. Now, if we turn to the Catechism, we find one spot where this passage in Matthew 12 is referenced, and that's in paragraph 713. This is in the section about what the Jews expected the Messiah to be like. It says, The Messiah's characteristics are revealed, above all, in the servant songs. These songs proclaim the meaning of Jesus' passion and show how he will pour out his, the Holy Spirit to give life to the many, not as an outsider, but by embracing our form as a slave. Taking our death upon himself, he can communicate to us his own spirit of life. 
So there the Catechism synthesizes various themes that come out of the famous Isaiah servant songs, which are well worth reading if you want to look at really clear descriptions in the Old Testament of what the Messiah will be like. So we'll leave it there for today, a fascinating passage from Matthew that's often underappreciated and underused when we're talking about how Jesus fulfills messianic prophecies. We'll continue in the Gospel of Matthew tomorrow, so hopefully you'll tune in again then.